following podcast is brought to you by Robots vs. Dinosaurs. Disclaimer, this podcast is about to spoil several movies from 6 to 20 years old. Lou, read off the list. Today, Robots vs. Dinosaurs will be spoiling for you, the listener. Gremlins, Gremlins 2, The New Batch, Matinee, Small Soldiers, No Sudden Move, Fear the Walking Dead, Dharma and Greg, Keeping the Faith, Ed TV, Batman and Robin, Terminator 2, Psycho, Doctor Who, Robot Monster, Man from Planet X, Lost in Space, Battery is not included, Transformers, Scooby-Doo, James Bond, Austin Powers, Hell's a Poppin', We're Back, A Dinosaur Story, Space Jam, Space Jam, A New Legacy, Ready Player One, Doom Patrol, Full Framed, Roger Rabbit, The Prestige, and The Mummy. Hello and welcome to Robots vs. Dinosaurs, the podcast where we watch a movie every week and then try to determine which one is cooler. Robots, Dinosaurs, Bugs Bunny, or Daffy Duck. Uh, and whether it's rabbit season or duck season, of course. I'm your host, Luigi, and with me as always is my co-host, a new co-host every week. And this week I have brought onto the show returning champion, Conrado Falco. Welcome, Conrado. I'm very happy to return to the show, Lou. Thank you for having me. Conrado, how many movies have we reviewed together on the show so far? Because I think you're coming up on Jason Carubia numbers. So here's what I'm going to say about this. I feel very competitive about the, being the person that's appeared the most times on Robots versus Dinosaurs. And I think, I don't know who it is. I get a feeling that it's not me right now who holds the record, but I want to put it out there for the people who are keeping track. The a guest hosts that come on to talk about the Marvel shows, they don't count because that is different. Because okay. that is the same person every episode of the shows. And I think that's not fair. Shots fired. They do a great job, but I don't think they should count as individual appearances each time. Okay. I recently had Jason, uh, Jay, so you're, you're referring to Ryan Lawler, who I saw the Marvel shows with me. Um, I recently had Jason Kirby on for the fifth movie review. And oh. we were talking about like that might be the most movies, but I think we've done How four or five at this point. We, so I've, definitely AI. AI and King Kong. King Kong. And we did and Godzilla versus Kong. Godzilla versus Kong. With so, the great PJ Mancuso. Okay, so this is going to be number four. So this is number four, I think. You've been on my podcast. That's what's happened. And that's why it feels like so many. That's what it feels like so many. So if yeah. the people listening haven't listened to Lou's appearances on... Uh, my podcast, Foreign Invader, we talked about Super Mario, which was very mm -hmm. funny. And then we talked about Don't Let the River Beast Get You in the Criterion Project. And that, oh boy, sometime we, you should do that uh, for this show because I think the River Beast counts as a dinosaur. I think it, I think it absolutely counts. We could ask um, Matt, Matt Farley to be his on? opinion on that or his taxonomy of the River oh, Beast, yeah. most importantly. And also, yeah, to be, maybe, maybe be a guest voice. Maybe we'll call him. Um, Again, so, yeah. <laughs> so this is the fourth movie that you're reviewing with me, and we haven't said the name of it yet. So, Conrado, what movie are we going to be discussing today on Robots versus Dinosaurs? We are talking about the absolute classic masterpiece, Looney Tunes Back in Action. Looney Tunes Back in Action, directed by Joe Dante. Where do we know Joe Dante from? So, Joe Dante, uh, I know him from, first of all, his own podcast, uh, The Movies That Made Me. I don't know if you've listened to that. Very good. There's an episode with William Friedkin, director of The Exorcist and The French Connection, Ooh, which okay. is insane. That dude has some insane opinions about a lot of stuff, but it's very fun what he has to say about stuff. Um, but most importantly, Joe Dante is the director of incredible classics like Gremlins, Gremlins 2, The New Batch, uh, the Burbs, 
matinee, small soldiers. I think there's some other there, big ones there that I'm forgetting. Mm. Um, Gremlins is the big one that comes to mind for me. Yeah. There's and, and actually a, a music cue in this movie uh, when they get, I think they're getting into a car that is a gremlin and the, the, the music from Gremlins plays. Yeah, and and uh, Gremlins 2, the new batch, is one of my favorite sequels. And that is already kind of like a Looney Tunes type movie when you think about it. So it only made sense that Joe Dante would eventually do an actual Looney Tunes movie. Yeah, Gremlins 2 and this movie are very self-referential. They're, they break the fourth wall a lot. Mm-hmm. Which is a Looney Tunes thing, you know, from back in the shorts. Yep. Um, so I want to talk about some of the stars in this. Oh, the writer was Larry Doyle. I uh, mm. didn't really look much at his credits, but does, is he familiar to you at all? He's a writer for The Simpsons. Oh, really? Um, well, I'll tell you something that I learned. I know a lot about the behind the scenes of this movie because it's a very interesting story there that we can get mm-hmm. into. But he is a credited writer, but there was a lot of writers on this movie. It was one of those movies mm-hmm. that got constantly rewritten and it okay. was really a battle between Joe Dante and the studio to get the movie made the way that he wanted to make it. And he actually is kind of disappointed with the end result. So, Interesting. It's funny you say that because the way that the movie goes, it's like it's being written as you're watching it. Yeah. And I think maybe it was. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, um. But yeah, <laughs> apparently it was a torturous, torturous process for him. Um, Interesting. But he... Um, he had made, no, he had, he hadn't made, but he had seen Space Jam. This is after Space Jam. And he really hated what they had done to Space Jam <laughs> with the characters, with the Looney Tunes, because it was just like a commercial for Nike and Michael Jordan with Looney Tunes in it. And then uh, one of the big Looney Tunes directors, Chuck Jones, passed away uh, around that time. And Joe Dante really thought, I have to take this movie, even though I don't like the script, because I love these characters. I don't, and I can't let it, happen again that they ruined them the way they did with space gym one more time so he took it on but the studio didn't really care about any of that you know like he loves the characters and this and the lore and the history and references to all the old shorts the studio didn't want any the studio brought a writer who literally asked him supposedly um do you think bucks bunny has to say what's up duck in this movie can he say something else like it was insane oh that's unthink that's unthinkable that's just stupid that's like some hollywood bullshit that's what they parody in this movie. That's like literally kind of Jenna Elfman's character. Um, right. This person, the, this uh, Larry Doyle um, must be furious. If he was not bad about Space Jam, must be furious about Space Jam and New Legacy. <laughs> well, the one who was really upset was Joe Dante. I don't know how oh, Joe Dante was. Oh, it, but oh. Joe Dante is the guy who said like, I have to do this movie because I really love his characters. Uh, I would love to hear what he thinks about Space Jam Legacy. Um, so some of the some of the uh, stars of this movie, uh, we got my boy B. Phrase, Brendan Fraser, and uh, this is so this is a 2003 movie, and this is when B. Phrase was hot. He's he's kind of having a comeback now, but interestingly, the reason that he kind of one of the reasons one of the reasons he kind of left Hollywood is actually kind of referenced in this movie. The fact that he started doing his own stunts led to him mm. getting kind of injured and he had to take a long break from, from making films. Uh, but I, a lot of people are saying that we're experiencing the Renaissance right now because oh. uh, Brendan Fraser's coming back. He was in a um, that movie, uh, 
No Sudden Move. Great movie. And recently, the Scors- Scorsese, not Scorsese, sorry, it was Soderbergh. Uh, Soderbergh. And he's in Doom Patrol, which is one of my favorite shows on right now. Oh, yeah. And uh, he's got another, I think he's got a Scorsese movie coming out or like another, some other big director. He has a it. big movie coming out. Yeah. I don't remember who it is, uh, but but I definitely heard about it. And, and I thought yeah. it sounded really interesting. I'm going to, actually, I'm really curious. I think I might Google that just now. Um, but okay. please go ahead. Uh, then we also got Jenna Elfman from a show that I'm probably the only person uh, that I know that watches it Wait, called Fear, Darman, the, Fear oh. the Walking Dead. <laughs> so you were going to oh. say Dharma and Greg. <laughs> no, I've never actually seen Dharma and Greg. And I was going to ask you if you have, because that was I, one of her other big credits. I have seen it, but I don't remember a lot of it. And I don't think it was very good. It's like is one the, of those like B-level sitcoms of like the late 90s. My understanding is the premise is uh, her name is Dharma. His name is Greg. Holy cow. And that's it. I, like, is there, what's the premise? <laughs> well, I think the premise is Dharma is supposed to be kind of like a hippie type girl. So, you know, that's why he has like that name Dharma and, and her parents are kind of hippies. And then the guy, Greg, his parents are kind of like, he's like a yuppie and his parents are like business types. So that's kind of like a, that kind of thing. Uh-oh. Like, yeah. Hilarity well, ensues. What kind of wacky hijinks will they get into? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay. Um, so Jenna Elfman, Jenna, no, Jenna Elfman's great. She's also in, uh, Keeping the Faith. She's in Ed TV. Um, oh yeah. Keeping the Faith. Yeah. That's a movie she, with Ben Stiller. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I really like Jenna Elfman. I really like her in this movie too. Uh, we got Heather Locklear, Tim Dalton, Joan Cusack, and Steve Martin as like the main villain in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, this movie also stars, of course, Elmer Fudd, Bugs Bunny, Daffy Duck, uh, who else? Yosemite Sam. Yosemite Sam, Marvin the Martian, Wiley mm-hmm. Coyote, you, Sylvester and Tweety appear for a second. Taz, yeah. the Tasmanian devil. Yeah. All but the big really, names. The big ones are Bugs Bunny and Daffy Duck. They really are in the center and especially Daffy Duck. And I think that's one of the great strengths of the movie is centering Daffy in the story. Yes. And the fact that Bugs is it's we get such like a rare glimpse into Bugs Bunny like I have a lot to say about Bugs Bunny as a character in this movie and how he is shockingly willing to share the spotlight with Daffy and like to the point where he refuses to work without him like he actually makes a demand at the negotiation table he's like no you you, yeah great you want me um you're gonna pay any price for me that price is the duck like he, he's yeah. back in or else I walk. Well, he understands what the execs don't, which is that it doesn't work if you don't have Daffy in the mix because it's not funny. Yep. Yeah. Um, okay. I have three very big questions about this movie, Conrado. And I would like to just ask those right at the top um, so that we can sort of start dissecting the movie and then we can, you know, get into any other topic. Mm-hmm. But I've got three big burning questions. So All right. Are you ready for Lose Big Three? Yeah, go ahead. Lose Big Three. Just you and me with Lose Big Three. Here we go. That acapella rendition <laughs> of the theme song. Love it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, uh, Lose Big Three, number one. Is Steve Martin in this movie doing a, a uh, Martin Short impression? Great question. And you know what? Let me tell you a little bit, in a roundabout way of answering this, a little bit about my history with this movie. 
is that I went to see it in 2003. Um, this is at the time where the internet and myself as a person were in a spot where it was possible for me to not know that a Looney Tunes movie existed until like a few weeks before it came out. Like I just like saw the poster at the movie theater when I was seeing mm -hmm. something else. And I was like, this movie exists and it's coming out and they're doing a Looney Tunes movie. And I was a huge Looney Tunes fan. I was crazy about it. wanted to see it. And at the time I was a little disappointed by it um, mm. because I don't know exactly why. I think it was just too chaotic for me. It was like too much if for over too long, you know, like the Looney Tunes shorts are kind of like really short. And then this was just too, too, too many things. It was kind of messy And the movie is messy, I think, but now I appreciate that about it. You're right. It's high octane, like a Fast and the Furious sequel. And like you were saying before, it's kind of like, it is kind of like it's written as it goes along. It kind of doesn't, yeah. it really lives <laughs> scene by scene. There's no like overarching plot or anything. I mean, there is one, but it doesn't really matter. It doesn't make sense. It's all about the scene that you're in now and the mm. jokes and the gags in that scene. Uh, with time, I turn around and I started to really love it, uh, especially as I got older and I saw more Looney Tunes and I started to appreciate more things about the Looney Tunes other than what I did as a kid about the gags and how smart the, some of these shorts are and the artistry that goes into it. But the thing that kind of like kept bumping against for me was Steve Martin's performance. I kept thinking, I, I didn't fully understand why he was trying to play a cartoon character in a movie that was full of cartoons already. So that I, I kind yeah. of, that's the thing that I struggle with. And I think for a lot of people who love the movie, Steve Martin still is sometimes that dividing line. Are you into it or are you not into it? Because he's doing a lot. It, it works better, I think, if he's an animated character with Steve Martin's voice. Uh, I, I feel like if if I saw a character that was drawn the way that Steve Martin's clothes are tailored to him with like mm -hmm. his, his pants coming up really high um, and like the knee sock, you know, the shin socks uh, and, and his like bow tie and his short sleeve, like the sleeves of his jacket are a little too short and like everything that he's doing to completely exaggerate his entire stance and his body motions and er literally every, every physical action that he's taking I feel like if that was actually animated and hand-drawn with Steve Martin's voice, I might like it more because that's what I was trying to picture the whole time as because, an overlay to what I was actually seeing. Because he's clearly trying urban. to play a cartoon person, a, a yep. cartoon character. So it is it is strange and it takes time to get used to. Um, I have to say the last time I saw this movie, which was a couple uh, months ago, I I really accepted it. I think it took, mm. it was the time, I don't know how many times you have to watch in order for that to make sense, but I feel like at some point I just accepted it. I was like, this is what it is. Um, but it's strange that it feels so off because I feel like Joan Cusack, who's in the movie for one really, one of my favorite scenes, does something a little bit similar and she's very kooky and it does work better than the Steve Martin thing. She nails it. She absolutely nails it. She does uh, what I argue often <laughs> Uma Thurman is doing in the uh, Joel Schumacher Batman and Batman Robin. Batman and Robin, yeah. Where she is bringing with her to the set like a complete understanding of the tone of the movie she's in. 
like every a lot it, it works because other characters are taking it seriously but now you've got joan cusack who's just like uh yeah no this is actually a blind for area 51 we call mm-hmm. it area 52 mm-hmm. and like she's just the right she has exactly the right delivery for everything like the type of character that she's playing um but steve martin i th- there is a difference and i don't know if it's that he's going he's tr- he's cranked all the way up to 11 like she's maybe like at 10 and a half and he's cranked all the way up to 11 yeah you know what i also think it is thinking about it now is i think he's trying to pull a little too much focus because like most of his mm. scenes he's the center of them so he's carrying the scene, whereas the Joan Cusack scene, you know, Brandon Fraser's there, Daffy and Bucks are there. So she's just bringing another flavor to it. And she doesn't feel like she has to be the center of attention. That's a great point. Yes, that's a really great point, because I feel like if his if his performance had a little more confidence to it, then he his henchman would there would be like a henchman that he would have a good back and forth with because that's a that that is a classic Looney Tunes character like the short little mob boss with mm-hmm. the big henchman and they have like a little exchange back and forth. We didn't really get and he that has all dynamic. these henchmen in a way because he uses all these Looney Tunes villains as henchmen, but they don't really mm-hmm. interact that much. He kind of. Uh, you know, controls them remotely, kind of like sends them messages to do his bidding. And I like, I like that as a concept, but he, it's, it's, he should have more direct interaction with them. When he's, when he's interacting with Yosemite Sam at one point, there's a bit of fun there. And with Um, the coyote, I think as well, there's a moment when the coyote comes over to the office, right? And he's, yeah. And what, what, how, can you describe that scene? Uh, If I remember correctly, coyote comes back because he has, failed with the acme things because it's the acme corporation steve martin plays the the and ceo the devices of acme. Suck. and the, the devices yeah. suck and then he kind of like is all hurt and the and steve martin says okay go and relax over there and then he walks away and what does he say he says like but don't go over there that's the like you know the whatever they're doing construction there yeah they're doing construction. oh perhaps i should have mentioned the plexiglass window yeah <laughs> yeah it's a series of that's a good gag yeah. that's a really good gag yeah very funny yeah, it's yeah. I I I like his. I do like ultimately like the performance, but the whole time I was kind of wishing I could see a version where it's just animated. The reason I draw a strong parallel to um, Martin Short is actually just because serendipitously I watched Clifford recently. Oh um, yeah, yeah for this show actually with Jason Carubia, and um, and and I just I saw I know that they're like friends in real life. They're doing a show right now. I think like only murders in the apartment or something. Yeah, they've done um, a few shows together. I think. Yeah, I think they're even doing like a traveling uh, live show at the moment. So like lifelong friends, comedy le- both comedy legends. I feel like in a way this is a Steve Martin impression of Martin Short. A Martin like Short a, character, yeah. Specifically Clifford. Like it's oh, ten yeah. years. Clifford was ten years before this, and it's like literally. A, an adult in child children's clothing even wears like a suit the whole time with like a bow tie mm-hmm. um yeah i don't know i get it's oh, yeah it definitely feels to me i haven't seen clifford in so long i don't think i've ever seen it all the way through actually just on tv but um there, there's a, also a version of this movie where you straight up cast martin short in this role right yeah it does feel like he's trying to go for a martin short type of character i don't know if I can think of a Steve Martin performance that is quite like this, especially 
that laid into his career. Maybe like especially, in the 70s. Especially during, this is like the time when he's doing like what Father of the Bride, he's doing yeah, uh, cheaper bringing the down dozen. the house, cheaper yeah, by the yeah. dozen. And like, this is, this is old fuddy-duddy, like waspy, old Steve Martin, like era. And he's yeah. reverting back to his sort of like SNL, like stand-up characters. And it's, that's fine. But like, I don't, I, I, I don't know. I think, uh, I'm, I feel like I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm being a really harsh critic of Steve Martin's performance more so than I have any validation doing, well, but. Listen, the guy um, went for something. He yeah. took a chance. And the truth is that he, his performance goes for it and it's divisive. You know, some people are into it. Some people are not into it. I think that for that his performance, to be honest, was one of the things that put me off the movie when I first saw it. It's just so out there that it mm. is kind of like hard to um, accept um, because it just goes for it. And, and some of it, it's kind of, uh, you might think it's too much to be funny, but then like there are other moments where they're really funny uh, with him. That's fair. That's fair. I think the last thing that I have to say about it, I'm, well, actually, no, we'll probably say more about it as we discuss the plot. So, um, but I'm glad that you saw that kind of Martin Short quality in this, in this performance that he's giving. Uh, okay. So lose big three, number two. Can right. I, Conrado, can I tell you why? Um, I guess, you know, this is, I did, this isn't really fair. I didn't really word it as a question. It's more of a rhetorical um, <laughs> can I tell you why Pepe Le Pew will not be missed? Like why he's not in Space Jam A New Legacy and nobody cares. Like it doesn't, it's fine that he's not around anymore. He is in this movie though, right? Yeah. In the, can, in the yes. Paris sequence. And well, it's okay, justification go ahead. Please for, tell me, please tell me why he won't just, be missed. Justification for why we shouldn't have Pepe Le Pew ever again. Um, Cause the why the exchange, the joke that he pops up for is mm-hmm. Brendan Fraser comes running in. A man is carrying a woman in a burlap sack to the Eiffel tower. And he's, and Pepe Le Pew just goes, eh, it is spring. Is it, is it not? <laughs> yeah. Like yikes. Uh, it's actually not the worst movie in this moment in this movie. But <laughs> it's interesting because the um, the movie does make a joke earlier about the characters that is like not politically correct to have on the movie anymore. And it's Porky mm-hmm. Pig and Speedy Gonzalez, but they don't include Pepe Le Pew. Interesting how like, you know, times change about that because Porky Pig now is all over the, the cartoons um, again. Yeah. And, the, you know, like his I assume it's because of his stutter that he was considered like a. And then, you know, a politically incorrect character, but I yeah. feel like that's been accepted now. And it is kind of Speedy Gonzalez, though, and, and Pepe Le Pew. Pepe Le Pew is the most problematic of them all, yes. for sure. Yeah, but they but that joke is in here. And then there's another there's another one that is really bad. Um, when uh, when Bugs is negotiating with uh, Jenna Elfman and he says, like, I usually play the leading the leading lady. Um, and she says, uh, mm. she says, oh, in the, the, the cross-dressing bit in the past, funny today, disturbing. Yeah. 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 That is absolutely not okay. <laughs> yeah. And, and I, I do wonder, uh, some of those things, um, especially that the cross-dressing moment, I feel like, I wonder how much of that is like, which jokes like Joe Dante and the people working on it wanted to to 
bring in and which mm-hmm. jokes were imposed by the studio because there's some jokes i agree that that there's a lot of funny gags in the movie and there's also a lot of unfunny gags and i think i wonder which ones came from where because like you know there's that moment where the the there the warner studios and the the water tower falls over and everything floods and then bucks is like fishing and he says hey i found nemo like that for me 100 something that the studio wrote and that jotan didn't want it to have on you know what I mean? Yeah. Like that's one of those lame 2003 jokes that probably were pushed on him. So I wonder, you know, with some of those things, which are which. Although, you know, maybe he does have bad opinions at that time in 2003 because, you know, a lot of comedies did. I think you're right to call that out specifically because that is that is like, that is not a, that's a reference to pop culture and that's not what the Looney Tunes humor has ever been. That's more like Simpsons or Family Guy humor. Yeah. Well, yeah. I don't know. The, the Looney Tunes do have a lot of references. A lot of the time it goes over our heads because they're really old. You know, like their shorts are from like the 40s and 50s. And sometimes we don't know what they're talking about. But they, yeah, no, actually, that's a real, that's, you got a point there. Yeah. But I do think that it's a different kind of, I just feel like Joe Dante doesn't love Finding Nemo. He doesn't want to reference Finding Nemo. It's a new movie that just came out in 2003. I think what okay. he really wants to do is some of the other stuff, like the Area 52 section that is full of like old, science fiction monsters from other movies that I know that he loves, you can tell that he wants to reference that. I know that he wants to reference all these nods to the old cartoons that he loved from the Looney Tunes, having all these like background characters that you might recognize if you are a fan. And then uh, something like, what was was I going to say? I had one more example, but I forgot. Oh, the Paris scene also, when they go to Paris and, and everything is full of Jerry Lewis posters because of the yeah. classic joke that the French love Jerry Lewis. And I know that Joe Dante loves Jerry Lewis as well. So I think that's another one, you know, but Finding yeah. Nemo, he doesn't love Finding Nemo. Come on. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. Because uh, there there were a lot of great jokes in this movie. So I guess I, would, I just, I kind of wanted to, I guess, just get the problematic bad stuff out of the way first. Because um, <laughs> it was... A, a a few decades ago at this point <laughs> not to give it a pass or anything but anytime we do dig into comedies especially uh from you know mm-hmm. any any decades past uh there yeah. tends to be like something in there that's like oof this wouldn't fly today um yeah. and i have to say sorry to go back to the joke that you mentioned about the cross dressing that was i think one that hurt me a lot this last time watching it because i did love bucks initial say that like i i usually play the leading lady because i feel like that's something that's classic of him that he is one of the most iconic characters in terms of not caring about gender and just like you know dressing up as a woman and flirting with elmer fudd if it means that he's going to get his way Mm -hmm. and um I also think that's a little bit of a commentary about Lola Bunny, which is the character they added for Space Jam. Kind of like saying like Bugs Bunny is already the the female bunny. Like, you know, like it's not necessary. Um, But then of course it it is brought down immediately with Jenna Elfman, with the Jenna Elfman line of dialogue. And it kind of loses its, you know, becomes kind of this weird reactionary conservative kind of way of looking at it. Yeah. Um, okay. I, this is lose big three, number three. And, uh, I've got this last question and then I'm going to ask, um, and then we're just going to like go into the, to the whole plot of the movie. So, uh, number three, 
Conrado, if you could order one item from the Acme catalog, what would you order and what would you use it for? <laughs> Whatever is the least deadly. I would never, that, that, number one, that. Number two, I would never use it for whatever its intended purpose is supposed to be <laughs> because I know that that's not going to work. So okay. I might get like one of the rockets and use them to like fry some eggs or something. Isn't there like okay. a fried eggs gag in this movie with the with the? Yes, when they're walking in the desert and it's really hot, and, and it's really hot, and his friend the eggs on his head or something right? on on Daffy's bill. The Daffy's pun, it's a punchline too. Um, Jenna Elfman and Brendan Fraser are talking about how. After this, they're not going to do any more cartoons. They're only going to do serious, like period dramas that mm-hmm. con- you know are contemplative with about the human soul. And then, like, mm-hmm. cut to uh, Bugs is frying an egg on Daffy's bill. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, what would you order? Do you know? Do you have an answer to this question? I am a big, big fan of that like portable hole uh, that you can just like oh. throw into a wall and then <laughs> dive through it, like your Doctor Strange. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. it's pretty cool there. I, I, do you, you, you don't play Dungeons and Dragons, right? Not regularly now. Okay. There, um, there's a, there's a magical item in that game called a portable hole. And, uh, I, like I, I got one once while I was playing and like my character from that point forward was just Bugs Bunny. Like that's entirely all I would do <laughs> is use that item as much as possible. And just, you do Bugs Bunny stuff with it. Um, so I think if I could have that in real life, uh yeah yes please i can think of a million things that i would do with the portable portable hole is such a great like whoever came up with that gag originally genius an absolute yeah. genius you know like that's just comedy gold anytime that at a hole pops up in a in a cartoon you know that it's gonna be some chuckles and guffaws yep uh it's yeah um that is oh definitely no tnt like I agree, like nothing. No, nothing that nothing can I'm gonna explode. like blow my my face off with or anything like that. Yeah. Um. All right. Awesome. So let's talk about. Uh, let's just talk about the whole movie. So, um, it start. I like that it starts with a classic cartoon that like is an actual Looney Tunes bit. Uh, Elmer Fudd hunting and Daffy and and Bugs arguing over whether it's rabbit season or duck season. Hmm. Um, then we cut to Daffy is reading this script in like, it looks like a big table read and he doesn't like it and he has some notes. Yeah, he doesn't like that he gets shot again and again in the script multiple times. He's kind mm-hmm. of tired of being the punchline and the guy who has to do, really I think he's tired of being the guy who has to do all the heavy lifting in the cartoons, right? You know, Bugs Bunny just stands around saying his catchphrase and then Daffy is the one who has to like be blown up again and again. So it is a bit of a Roger Rabbit type scenario where like the cartoons are actors at the studio, kind of. Yeah. Um, And Duffy Duck has an issue with the Warner Brothers who are like, you know, literally a pair of brothers, which I think it's a funny (laughs) gag too. That is a good gag. I like that that keeps coming back too. And uh, they think that he's not funny. They won't take his suggestions. And so Jenna Elfman, especially, she plays an executive and she really doesn't like him and she ends up firing him because his like stock has been going down or something with the fans, right? Yep. And um what I like, what I what's really endearing to me is how early on in the movie we we see like that Bugs is 
Bugs is actually, he does care. Like he does care about Daffy. He does want Daffy around. He considers Daffy a friend. He even considers like Elmer Fudd a work friend until he finds out later that Elmer Fudd has been evil, like secret this whole time. Um, (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But like, I, I really love that. Like it's not in this scene, like in this scene, he still is letting Daffy roast himself and he's still like letting him set up the gag of just cut to bugs saying a catchphrase and taking a bite of the carrot and mm-hmm. getting away with it. And like, as he's calling out that that's all he does. And like, he lets him, you know, he lets him roast and like all of that. But we find out within the next 10 or 15 minutes, like it's that he appreciates that back and forth. He actually yeah. does acknowledge Daffy's input and Daffy's hard work. And mm-hmm. that's super endearing to me. I, I, that was the biggest surprise for me in this movie. I can't overstate that. Yeah. Um, that, that's definitely true. Um, it's almost like he is too cool to say it out loud and in front of Daffy and to his face. But like, you know, once, obviously once after they fire him, he goes to the executives and he's like, well, we got to get him back, you know, like otherwise the, this, this shit doesn't work. It's not funny without him. I need him. Um, that immediately gets proven right. Yeah. Um, yeah, definitely. And the other thing, there's some really, I think, kind of funny Hollywood satire making fun of Hollywood in this movie and making fun of big companies. I really love the scene where Daffy Duck gets fired and he goes on this tirade and he says like, you know, I'm going to go away and I'm going to be my own, I'm going to do my own movies and I'm going to go and be my own star. Uh, you can't tame Daffy Duck or something. He said, well, actually we own your name, so you can't use it. And then he can't say his name. I think that's a really good gag. That is a brilliant gag. And the way he reacts to it, he's like, he tries to say it. And he's like, well, I, well, look at that. They- <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's so good. I also love um, the, there, there's a poster for and I think they actually make a direct reference to it. Lethal weapons, lethal, lethal weapon babies, and <laughs> I, yeah, somebody says like, finally a lethal weapon I can take my grandchildren to. <laughs> yeah, and uh, uh, the log line for lethal weapon babies, of course, is nap time's over. <laughs> that yeah, that's kind of funny, and also I think it's also funny a little inside joke for Joe Dante too is that they're in this kind of movie studio sequence, they're shooting a Batman movie mm-hmm. and the, and the director of the Batman movie is played by uh, Roger, Roger Corman, who is the famous like B movie director who is like as far from Hollywood glamour as you can think of like absolutely cheap movies from the seventies and sixties and eighties uh, that a lot of very famous directors got their start with Roger Corman, I think including Joe Dante, he started working for him. But he was just like the kind of guy who was like, listen, you work for me. You I, you won't get any money. You won't have any money to make your movie. But if you make a good movie, you won't have to work for me ever again. <laughs> oh, man, that's a really that's a really cool reference. I didn't know that was um, Roger Corman. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just like this funny thing of like, can you imagine him directing a Batman movie? Never, you know? Yeah, but nowadays, like, I would be clamoring to see a Roger Corman Batman because we've seen all of the big, big, like, Hollywood budget, like, serious director Batman movies. I want to see a bonkers, uh, I want to see a Roger Corman Batman. I would see that, too. Yeah. 
Um, <laughs> another another fun thing that they had was uh, Tim Dalton's character, uh, who ends up being Brendan Fraser's dad, is this um, very successful actor. He's in all of these spy movies, and every time they they named one of these movies or like showed one of the posters, I wrote it down. Um, let me know if I oh, let yeah. me know if I missed any that you might have noticed. But there was License to Spy, Operation Conspiracy, More is Never Enough, Ali Ali <laughs> Oxen Spy, which is fucking gold. Um, the Spy <laughs> is Me, and <laughs> and then The Spy I Never Knew. Yeah, sounds, you know, sounds accurate mm. to that kind of movie. <laughs> yeah. yeah, they're all like really, they're, they're all like names that, the, I, if you told me that this was the, the name of the next James Bond movie, I would absolutely believe it. And if you told me it was the name of the next Austin Powers movie, I would also believe you. <laughs> yeah. Um, and this is when the when the plot of the movie gets really convoluted because Brendan Fraser plays a stunt double. No, he is a security guard at the studio who wants to be a stunt double, but he's well, not. He, he was Brendan Fraser's stunt double in the Mummy movies. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's canon. <laughs> that's another bit of meta humor. Mm-hmm. Um, and his dad is played by Timothy Dalton, and he is an actor. What is his name in the movie? I can't remember. He has like one Drake, of those, uh, something Drake, yeah, something Damien. It's Damien Drake. Damien Drake, and Damian he Drake. is an actor who plays a James Bond type of character in his movies. But turns out that he's actually a spy, and he's actually in danger. And and Brendan Fraser and teams up with Daffy Duck reluctantly to save him because he needs to get the blue monkey, which is this kind of, uh, what is it? It's like it's some sort of diamond that controls people. This is my it's other thing that I love. Again, serendipitously, I just watched um, We're Back, A Dinosaur Story for this show. <laughs> and these are two movies back to back that I've watched in the past week where part of the plot is the villain wanting to turn humans into monkeys. The blue monkey diamond Anytime turns that- humans into monkeys so that they build products and then it turns them back into humans so that they buy those products. That is, again, a very, you know, very clearly a satire of uh, big companies and, and capitalism and the way those things work. Um, also, I have to say, there should be more movies where the main villain's plan is to turn people into monkeys. I love that. The only thing I love more <laughs> yeah. than that is to have a guy in a gorilla suit. That's the, those are the two things that should be in movies more often. Is it specifically monkeys? Because, for example, in the Andrew Garfield Spider-Man, mm-hmm. um, he the, the Doctor Connors wants to turn everybody into a lizard. So yeah, I don't know. There's something about monkeys that is just like that. Also, it has to be with like a crystal or with a, you know with magic. It can't be with science. If it's with science, it's no, it's no good. Fair enough. Fair enough. So wait, um, because we uh, isn't that part of Super Mario Brothers? Like, doesn't don't he, wouldn't humans get returned yeah. like devolve back De-evolved. into monkeys? Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. The great, the great, you know, all the great movies have monkey turning villains at the center yeah. of them. Man, you're right. This is yeah. Wake up, Hollywood. Where's where's all the <laughs> where are all the good villains nowadays? Yeah, if you want a good villain, then bring in the monkey plug. This is what Thanos should have done when he got all the Infinity Stones. Yeah, <laughs> come on. <laughs> to turn into monkeys. Uh, so yeah, that's what the that's what the Blue Monkey Diamond does. I, you know, what I kept wondering, like, 
I kept wondering what are the actual stakes in this movie because um, it it seemed like there were multiple points where they wanted us to think that Daffy Duck was in mortal danger, but then very casually a laser would cut his head off. And <laughs> I like I don't know what it's it's kind of hard to track like what happens next because it's all it's like you said it's sort of skits and like one scene yeah. doesn't really depend on the on the previous scene that much they go in a series of like spy related adventures and along the way they kind of at each stop they have to f- to fend off against a different kind of looney tunes villain that's how i would put it it's really an episodic movie that goes from one place to another it almost makes fun itself of that right like when they go to paris they go there I think it's because they just pull like the screen and they like suddenly there or something. That is one of my favorite gags in the movie when, when he's like, Oh, that's in, that's in the Louvre, which is in Paris, which is in France. Uh, how are we going to get to France? This is how, and then he just pulls the corner of the screen open. Yeah. That was one of my favorite gags. I loved that. Cause it was, you know what it was like, they did the Walmart gag five minutes before that. And the Walmart gag was pretty good, but then this topped it. And Like, I think they work back to back. I think it like one elevated the other. Yeah, the Walmart gag, which is like they're in the middle of. Yeah, exactly. Because nothing makes sense. It's just about making fun. Like we're in the middle of the desert. What are we going to do? Oh, Walmart is here. Let's go get some stuff. (laughs) And and isn't it great? Planet placement. I love it. He literally, Brendan Fraser literally turns to Jenna Elfman and says like, was this your idea? And she's like, yeah, people don't really even pay attention to these sorts of things. Yeah, because she's the executive. Yeah, so it's a very yeah. kind of definitely meta. Is there a moment also the classic meta thing of like looking at the script and saying, I think there has to be at some point. There's definitely a uh, like product placement in that in the Walmart thing. Like when they come out of it, Bugs says, um, uh, so nice of Walmart to provide these Walmart beverages in return for us saying Walmart so many times. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. By the way, Walmart, um, you should be sponsoring this podcast because I've said Walmart so many times. Definitely. Or at least give us beverages. And, you know, the other thing is that um, I think what Joe Dante also wanted to bring into this movie is uh, he really loves, uh, I think, those kinds of breaking the fourth wall type of gags. And one of his favorite movies, which is also a huge influence for him, is was a movie from 1941, I think, or like early 40s called Hell's a Popping, which is a movie, which is, a, have you heard about this movie? I've not heard of that movie, but that's what the bad guy in We're Back a Dinosaur Story, that was the name of his circus, his fright circus, Hell's oh, a Popping. Oh, really? No yeah, way. Yeah, weird. So there's this great movie, um, which I think it's not as well known partially because it, um, I think it's kind of like in rights limbo. I don't know who has the rights and it hasn't been like restored or anything, but it is available. I think it was on YouTube when I saw it. Um, And it's this crazy comedy that is completely off the wall, breaking the fourth wall in a way, even before the some of the best Looney Tunes gags they were already doing a lot of stuff. Like there's a moment in the movie where they, someone comes on the screen and says like, Hey, like uh, little Richie Dawson, Richie Dawson, your mom is looking for you. Go away. And like a little shadow pops at the bottom of the screen and then the little boy walks away. And I think Joe Dante mm-hmm. really wanted to do a lot of those types of gags in the movie. 
And he found it really frustrating that the executives just couldn't get it. Like they kept saying like, I don't know, man, it takes me out of the movie. And he was like, of course, that's what it's supposed to do. It's a gag about how you're watching a movie. That's what's funny about it. Gremlins 2 when Hulk Hogan literally like for the 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 whole film like burns away and uh Hulk Hogan has to has to restore it yeah exactly I didn't know what they were expecting that they wanted to get obviously they, they, they didn't care I mean he Joe Dante famously said in an interview like he was making a movie for people who wouldn't cross the street to see it you know like they just had no interest in it but they wanted to give all their notes because that's how it works hmm yeah, it's yeah, it's funny that like this movie is clearly that like it's it's made by it's written by committee, but it also calls out things that are written by committee. Like it, it's it's getting away with making lampooning itself. And that's what I think I really appreciated about it now, especially is I can I really love seeing that kind of tension of thinking like maybe it's not a perfect movie, but you can really see how. You can I can almost see how he's fighting to do make the movie that he wants to make. And you know, and sometimes he wins, he gets a, a punch in, and sometimes he gets a punch and he gets hit. But like it's like a constant kind of trying to get there and trying to get over the the badness, so to say, and to get it to sneak in as many gags as he can and to do what he wants to do. Um yeah, there um what do you think of the the psycho gag? I wrote that one down because that one like when it's it like i can't even set it up plot wise like why it comes why it happens but i think jenna elfman walks into a room somehow there's a shower running and bugs in the shower and everything's black and white and bugs plays out the the shower scene from from psycho and then he like takes out a bottle of hershey's syrup and because it's black and white, it's still kind of disturbing. It's actually like, it's kind of interesting. Right, to play the blood. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think yeah. that gag is not, I think at the beginning, I find it not very funny. Like, oh, a psycho gag. Sure, we've seen this kind of before. But because it's so detailed and it is in black and white and it goes on for as long as it does and it kind of recreates exactly the shots from Psycho, it really, it ends up really working towards the end just because it's like, mm. An, an homage to Psycho in the middle of this movie for like no reason other than like just cause. This movie in that way reminded me of Ready Player One. This movie is a lot better than Ready Player One, but the manic <laughs> references to things um, just constantly yeah. here and there. And I think it's also, that's also a Warner Brothers property, right? Yeah. And also what makes it different from something like that and something like Space Jam and New Legacy, I would say, is that the references here are not like the, I feel like the references in Ready Player One and, and and Space Jam are just to things that are owned by Warner Brothers. You know what I mean? Like I feel like it's just it's kind of like a brand thing. It's not. It doesn't feel like something that that, that it's being referenced because the people making the movie really love those things. You know what I mean? Like when That's you a- see Speedy Gonzalez in The Matrix and in, in Space Jam: A New Legacy, it's like why is this even happening? But like when you see Bugs Bunny and Psycho here, it's like, yes, I know that you love Psycho because you're recreating every single shot from it. And we love Psycho and it's funny to see Bugs Bunny in it. Yes, it was, for some reason it totally works here. Also like the Shaggy get bit works where Shaggy is talking to Matthew Lillard about oh, his yeah. performance as Shaggy. That really lands for me. Um, 
I guess I can't put, yeah, I can't put my finger quite on why I'm all about it in this movie, but in like Space Jam and New Legacy, it really feels tacked on. It really feels like, oh, he's literally just traveling through the different Warner Brothers channels in this virtual world so that when they're at the basketball game, those are all the people watching the game in this in the stands like in totally the it's because it's like the walmart thing but for real it's not a joke it's like mm-hmm. it's actually that it's like it's warner brothers saying like put it, all of our properties in this thing yeah it's just like the literal cynical uh version there's a lot of like random gags in this movie there's a lot there's also a lot of what the simpsons does um which it doesn't surprise me that larry doyle is also a simpsons writer Mm. Um, the, like a lot of like background jokes that don't totally call attention to themselves. Like when every time we're in Steve Martin's, uh, Acme boardroom, there's all the VPs of different departments and each one of them is very funny. Like there's like the VP of child labor and the VP (laughs) of rhetorical questions. Um, and they don't all, they don't all really call call attention to themselves. They're kind of like, rewarding jokes if you're sort of looking for that sort of thing in the background yeah definitely the thing in in paris with the jerry lewis posters is also like that they didn't really call attention to it but like if you're looking it's really funny if especially if you know the jerry lewis movies because like it's one and then there's another and then there's another and it's kind of like oh it just keeps building without you really noticing that's a perfect example because I noticed all the VP things. I didn't notice the Jerry Lewis things until you pointed it out. So that's like a, that's a perfect call out because there are certain gags, certain background details that my mm-hmm. eye catches because I have more of an attachment to them. And you you have like a similar experience watching this, but with different details. And I think it's cool that like this, the, the movie is not only loaded with jokes like it's very very rapid fire back to back like watching the looney tunes cartoon but there's also a lot of a lot of background details so it's like really jam-packed with gags and jokes every minute yeah definitely and and a lot of yeah references of all kinds of short sorts like you know like i was saying in the area 52 scene although the aliens are from different movies from the 50s and 60s that that i assume are some of joe dante's favorites Yep, I couldn't even track all of them. I definitely recognize, I'm not a Doctor Who fan, but I recognize the Daleks. Mm-hmm. Um, then there was, I just wrote down Gorillabot. Gorillabot, Ma- whose name is uh, Roman, the the uh, robot monster, which is my favorite because it's when they were trying to do a movie with a monster and they just got a guy with a gorilla suit and they were like, well, it can't be just a gorilla. Let's put like a robot thing on his head and call it a day, which I love. I love the design. What wait? That's the name of the movie, Roman. No, the name of the movie is Robot Monster. I think Roman Mon- is the name of the monster. Have you I seen have it? I have not seen it. I, I've only seen uh, pictures of it, and um, I feel like it's one of those like mystery science theater kind of movie. Because like, it feels like this is your perfect movie. It's a it's a gorilla. Have uh, robot have gorilla gorilla suit? Yeah, and they're and they're half robot. Maybe I should uh, come back to to do that. That movie here, Robot. I Monster. think so. Maybe we can live watch it. Maybe we can sort of do a Mystery Science uh, Theater thing. Yeah. Um, so that's awesome. Then there's the microwave popcorn robot. Uh, mm-hmm. Is that that's a real thing? Um, I think so. There, I know there's Robbie the robot who appears in a lot of 
different movies. I think he's also in Lost in Space. The TV I was going to ask. He he looked like the robot from Lost in Space, but I'm not super familiar with Lost in Space. Yeah, I think that's him. And there's also the man from Planet X. I think the man from Planet X is the one who gets the popcorn in his like you know that the popcorn goes off in his in his suit, right? Okay. Yes. Yes. Um, so uh, actually, that kind of leads me to one of the big questions: uh, Is this the reason that you chose this movie for this for this podcast? Because of those robots. I, they're supposed to be aliens, technically, but there's, some of them are robots, clearly. And yes, that is the, the first reason when I realized, oh, those are all robots in that scene. I can talk about this movie in loose podcast. Let me do it. That's what I thought first. But then I remembered that there is an abomination later in the movie, this dog robot that comes out of absolutely nowhere in the third act, which I think is, has to be 100% one of the things that the studio pushed on this movie, because there's literally no reason for that robot to be there. I immediately resent you calling this adorable <laughs> robot dog an abomination. <laughs> uh, excuse you, but... Um... <laughs> what is this robot doing in this movie? He has nothing uh, to do with Tunes. He has nothing to do with anything. It's just a random robot dog. No, we're talking about the acne guard dog, okay? He's a good boy. <laughs> that was a good mechanical boy that was protecting the acne warehouse. He's a guard dog. He has a job, Conrado. You're shaming <laughs> this robot dog that applies himself and, and is a go-getter. And, I, am you anti, know, I am anti-robot dog. No, well, no that's, robot dog for me. That is shameful to hear. I'm I'm so sorry, folks. This is where we end this is where we end the podcast forever. Wait, are you into the robot dog? I I didn't didn't like that scene. I really did. You know, no, you know what? I um I really liked it. And I was first wondering, is this based on an actual any like Looney Tunes character at all? It isn't. And I'm not sure if it is, but um, but the more I was watching it, the more it actually really uh, stuck out to me that like this is not great CG but the character is supposed to look like this so I don't know if it could be improved like I believed it was running around interacting with the space that it was in and that for me is enough and I was like I was kind of impressed with this being like a two, 2003 special effects and I honestly, I'm not like, I'm not trying to exaggerate. I, I really thought that dog, that robot dog scene was technically impressive because it does the thing I like with CG where the CG monster or the CG thing fits in with its environment in a logical way. Mm. So you're, you're, very, you're more forgiving of any of the scenes that you might see or the puppet strings that you might see. Yeah, I, I do think actually that the, the CG thing is an impediment for me, not because it's bad, but because everything else is 2D, you know, like all the characters, all the cartoons are drawn in the traditional way. So like having this 3D character, I was like, how come is a 3D dog now? Like, you know, like, I don't know, you could have brought any number of characters from the, from the Looney Tunes catalog. You could have had like Gossamer, their big, you know, yeah. red monster or something. So, I don't know. I guess I just felt, I could tell, I got the feeling in that moment that this is not something Joe Dante wanted to do. This is something that the studio pushed on him. We need something here. Let's bring a giant dog for some reason. Maybe we'll sell some dog toys. When this movie, you said you saw this movie in the theater, right? Mm-hmm. Did this come out in 3D? I don't think so. Definitely not in South America because we didn't have 3D back then in a lot of theaters. Only... Like Spy Kids, the kind of like red, blue, 3D thing. Because it feels like if it did, that's a reason for this character entirely to exist. Like just because the movie's going to be in 3D. 
they would create a character like this. I could see that. I would see a 3D Looney Tunes movie, though, because I think the whole fourth world breaking is perfect for 3D. Yeah, yeah. There were more, more than one gag where I felt like, um, like, oh, this movie must have been intended for for 3D or maybe it came out, maybe a 3D version of it came out, but I don't, I don't know. Uh, I don't think it did. It reminds yeah, because it would be like uh, at Disney, the Muppet Vision 3D. Have you been to that, right? At Disney no. World? Oh, Muppet Vision 3D. Yes, yes. Sam the Eagle introduced yeah, it. And, and it's it, so yeah. fun. And it, yeah. It, yeah, you could do something like that with the Looney Tunes. Yeah, definitely. Um, the, the, the robots, we're still talking about the robots a little bit. Uh, do I've asked you this before, but does this movie affect your definition of what is a robot? Um, it's interesting because I think there's a lot to to think about there in terms of like in Area 52, there are some there are aliens and robots, and they are treated as the same. Brings the question like, are robots in this case the sentient beings of these planets that they're coming from? So or it's interesting. They, oh, yeah. sorry, sorry. No, no, go ahead. Or, or are they what? Or are they what? Or are they robots that were created by the people who populate these planets? What's really interesting is a lot of times when I when I ask people that question, what is a robot? Part of their answer, it's a very common like answer, um, is, uh, is something that is built by humans, dot, 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 to do like a, a human task or something like that. So it's interesting that like this movie brought that question to your mind of, you know, are these these robots? They are. They fit the definition of robot, but they're clearly not made by humans. They're made by either alien hands, or maybe they're made on a planet where biologically robots exist and have some sort of other uh, reproduction system we don't even understand. Yeah. Well, to be fair, this movie didn't bring this question to me. You did, because this movie <laughs> is not interested in that question at all. <laughs> No, it's not. This is but, not something but, that I started thinking watching Looney Tunes back in action. I didn't start thinking about the definition of robotics and the ethics of the human brain. Maybe not, but but you use the robots in this movie as an excuse to bring it on my podcast. I am using uh, this movie as an excuse to talk about <laughs> our our robots. Can robots be aliens, Conrado? That's the those are the big questions that Robots versus Dinosaurs strives to answer in this universe. That is a good question. I think robots can be aliens because if it's a robot created in a in a planet other than Earth, it is still a robot, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, my my biggest piece of evidence is the movie Batteries Not Included. They are aliens from another planet. We actually see how they reproduce, which is very interesting in that movie. So mm-hmm. um, they are robots, aliens from space that are robots. And also the Transformers, right? They are also oh, yeah. robots from another planet. Not to mention C-3PO and R2-D2, you know what I mean? Yeah, I think actually what we're proving is most robots are not uh, from Earth or human. Most robots are aliens. Yep. You heard it here. Um, So, all right, I'm I'm really glad we solved that. Do you have anything else to say about any of the robots in Looney Tunes back in action? Um, I think that's all the robots in the movie, huh? I think they did a good job, especially the ones in Area 52. I really love that sequence. It's one mm. of my favorites in the movie. Um, I think Joan Cusick's really funny. And I think the whole like robot set piece is also funny, how they fight all the robots in different funny ways. Yeah, and it's it's fun that like Martian, Marvin the Martian is one of the aliens that they captured 
also mm-hmm. he's one of Steve Martin's uh the, the chairman's henchmen. Yeah. He gets like a, se- a secret message to I, I also like that all the robots and aliens are being kept in like jars like they were bugs that were captured by a kid, which I think is also funny. Yeah, they actually do a gag where one of them gets put in like back in the jar by the claw. Mm-hmm. And it then pokes holes in the top. And then we see the alien. They, they, they take a moment to see it, like, <gasps> like take a deep breath as soon as yeah. the holes are poked. <laughs> yeah, very funny. That's a really good gag. Yeah, that's a that's a very fun sequence that, again, I was like, midway through it, I was like, wait, wait a minute. How did we get here? And then so much was going on that I was like, oh, who cares? Who cares how we got? Honestly, who cares how we got here? <laughs> Does not matter. It's all about yeah. the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the next thing in my notes, and it just, it honestly might have been the, the flash cut to the next scene, was uh, it's when they run into Grandma and Tweety and Sylvester in the jungle um, riding an elephant, and they give them a ride, and it's very, very obvious that they are the bad guys in disguise. <laughs> Oh really? You thought so? I feel like I always get I always forget about that. And when I'm rewatching the movie, I'm like, oh right, yeah, they were the bad guys in disguise. Oh, they call it out when they pull up on the elephant. Somebody, I think Daffy says like, oh, how convenient that we just happened to run into you here in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. And then the, like ominous music plays. They cut like to a close-up of Granny and like Sylvester's rubbing his hands together, his paws together, and Granny's like, yes, convenient, haha. Um, so I was like, okay. Yeah, okay. I, yeah, I see I guess where it, this is going. I guess it was just the fact that the movie was being so self-referential that I just accepted it. Like, okay, it's kind of convenient. But I, I think you're right. I think I was just being... I think at that point in the movie, it's late enough that I just wasn't thinking about the plot at all. Too. No, now that we're talking about it, it, I, it actually, I was thinking one step further. I was actually, like, because I was thinking, like, they're trying to throw me off. Because they're, they're mm-hmm, with the music mm-hmm. cue, they're making it so obvious that the gag, the actual gag, is that Daffy and Bugs are going to be suspicious of them, but then it's going to turn out that they're totally on the level. But whatever. Then they, because what it led to was also one of the best gags in the movie where he just keeps unzipping and like revealing that he's a different character. <laughs> yeah. And he re- at one point reveals that he's Tim Dalton and then he unzips <laughs> again. Like it's, that's a really, really good gag. Straight out of Looney Tunes as well. Yeah, although we did go over my—I mean, we glided over my my absolute favorite scene in the movie, and the thing that I think it's an absolute masterpiece, which is the scene at the Louvre when the characters yeah. go into the paintings. Which I think it's like one of the best Looney Tunes things ever. It is so good. They are Elmer Fudd is is uh, kind of chasing Bugs and Daffy, and they jump into the paintings, and they kind of like once they jump in, they kind of adopt the style of the painting that they have gone in. So they do like a Dali, and they do a Van Gogh, I think, and and the, and the scream, and then it ends with the uh, Seurat painting that is like the little the pointillism that it's like done with little dots, and then they end up using that to get rid of Elmer Fudd, which is really funny to blow him away. <laughs> They stretch that into three jokes back to back. One is um, Bugs explaining pointillism and then blowing Elmer Fudd into dust. Then he turns to the camera and he says, you know, it's also like it, we're not only entertaining, we're educational, too. Mm-hmm. You got you come to learn something. And then a third gag, because in the background, Daffy has been turned into dots 
and he's taking a pen and drawing, like connecting the yes, dots to draw yes, himself yes. back together. <laughs> so like, that's just a great, like just another example of like just the rapid fire back to back stuff that blink and you'll miss it. Like, have we talked to, have we discussed 30 rock at any point on this, on the show? Cause I don't know if we've talked about it, but I love 30 rock. This was like, get the, this type of, joke telling and gags rapid fire back and back and, back and like rack background details was giving me strong 30 rock vibes yeah definitely and i and you know i do think that 30 rock has a little bit of that looney tunes uh kind of sat- satirical element to it and they kind of break in the fourth wall i think actually 30 rock did a lot of gags about um product placement too so that definitely, that moment definitely made me think of Therry Rock because that's something that they const- did constantly on that show. Yeah, and uh, Wayne, Wayne's World did that where they like deliberately call it out in the middle of the movie um, while they're doing the thing that they got paid to do. Um, yeah, it's, uh, what also what also I really like are the, like the references to classic Looney Tunes. Like, mm-hmm. Um, I feel like Damien Drake is is a name that's like it's supposed to be, you know, a duck pun. And uh, <laughs> later, on, I just love that Duck Duck uh, Daffy Duck becomes Duck Rogers later on. Yeah. Um, in order to save the day, in order to like, you know, do do more action. Um, mm-hmm. That was really cool. Yeah, and in the in the last scene, especially the one where they, I think it's they're making their new movie or something, and they're walking around the studio. That scene is full of like obscure tertiary Looney Tunes characters that are like totally like it's like Referenceville, you know, like for people who are really into Looney Tunes. Like, I feel like it's all of like Joe Dante's favorite characters, supporting characters that were never going to actually be in the movie, but like can have a cameo at the end. Yeah, this is um, how, how, you've seen this movie uh, like several times, right? Like mm-hmm, would you say mm-hmm. like double digits. Like, is this a movie that you watch all the time? No, I would say, um, I've, I would say there was a really long time where I would like every couple of years, and this happens to me with a few movies, that every couple of years I'd try to watch it again, thinking, okay, maybe this is one time when I'm going to love it. And I always was like, I really like so many things about this, but I don't fully love it. And that was kind of happening with me and Looney Tunes for a long time and it was recently mm. that I fully fully loved it on on my last rewatch of it like I always think like I really have a soft spot for Looney Tunes back in action but you know it's kind of a messy movie but this time I just straight up loved it and it was like oh no it is a masterpiece I love it um that's it yeah it's 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 really good I was really really impressed with it because in in 2003 the Looney Tunes were like hardly relevant culturally relevant you know I, I don't think um I think the 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 there was like a Looney Tunes property that was coming out around that time that was like the it was like the Looney Tunes extreme basically uh, they were like the lunatics lunatics unleashed is what that's lunatics called unleashed, and that is yeah. a real abomination it's horrible is that something you watched? Like, have you ever seen, have you seen episodes of it or? I I have seen episodes of it when it was on. Like I caught it okay. and it was just, just like maybe one or two episodes just being like completely gobsmacked. Like what the f- hell is going on in this thing? Well, who would think to make this cartoon? 
what was it like what what was the it was like was the a it was like the Looney Tunes were recast as like a Teenage Minute Ninja Turtles type of like superhero team that like it was Bugs Bunny and Daffy and some others. And they were like this kind of like ninja type characters. Like it was it was not a Looney Tunes thing at all. It was like an action show. It was it was bizarre. Have you yeah. seen it? No, I've never seen it. Um, I, I remember advertisements for it. And I think like seeing action figures and I like... Mm. And I got really cynical and thought, like, this is, this is not, I, I was a big fan of Looney Tunes cartoons growing up, but this just looks like something where they've, it only exists to sell these action figures. And yeah. I can't imagine it's actually quality good. And it's really curious because, you know, in the 90s, the Looney Tunes were in a high because I feel like, yeah, uh, that was the last time I, think where like kids really grew up with the Looney Tunes cartoons and television like you know yeah. I was born in the early 90s and when I was a kid there was Looney Tunes was on TV all the time but my sister my sister's born in the late 90s and for her it's totally different she doesn't she doesn't really have that connection in the 90s like every store that you go to would have Looney Tunes in like with like gold chains and like like baggy clothes and like, yeah that was also a really big thing there was a big branding uh i think it's probably also related to the michael jordan thing the commercials and then obviously space jam there was like this whole like big push for looney tunes because at that point there were still kind of icons right like you could buy a shirt with bucks bunny on it because you because everybody knows who bucks bunny is we grew mm -hmm. up with bucks bunny we love him and that kind of got lost. And by the, yeah, you know, from Space Jam comes out in 96. And then by 2003, they have like, they're really out. And the Looney Tunes are not at the center of the conversation anymore. And they, and they haven't really been ever since, I don't think. Yeah. Not even with Space Jam and New Legacy coming out. I feel like, no, no and it's a thing of like, um, yeah. But I think it's not only about the Looney Tunes. I do think that, I feel like I was part of the last group of people who grew up with, well, number one, with television, watching just whatever was on. And because you could only watch whatever was on, you ended up watching a lot of old cartoons. It was a time before a lot of new original cartoons were made. Now, every like network for kids has all original programming all the time they don't do reruns the way that they used to do back then. Like, you know, I've watched some terrible, like I watched a lot of Yogi Bear. Yogi Bear is a terrible cartoon. It's so boring. Yeah. It's the same thing over and over again, but there wasn't nothing else to watch. Yeah, that's a good point that there just is more content now. So there's just, uh, frankly, there's just more competition. Yeah. Um, yeah, and like Space Jam and New Legacy, I, I don't think really did it any favors. This movie is so surprisingly good to me though. But it, but it does feel like it's kind of, instead of rejuvenating interest in the, in the Looney Tunes, it's kind of the, the swan song. It's kind of like the, the last dying breath of the Looney Tunes. And it feels appropriate. I think that's very true that you have this director who's really trying to go back to what it was before. Um, even if he had made the movie that he wanted to make and it had been great, I don't think that it would have necessarily rekindled a love for the Looney Tunes in the children of America. It just feels like we just moved on, you know, like that was just not the thing anymore. And the studio is really trying to push to be in the side guys and be, and be 
with it and it just doesn't it just doesn't click anymore it's it's just one of those things that um can't be forced i guess do you think that if you like surveyed a random selection of five-year-olds right now and and like you had to ask them to like which one they recognize mickey mouse or bugs bunny do you think more of them would who, which one do you think would be recognized most This is interesting. I think I have a lot to say about this. I, I to answer your question, I think that Mickey Mouse 100%. Number one, Disney is just so much better at branding than anyone else. There's just a thing yeah. of like, we know what a Disney property is in a way that I think a regular person does. Like to go back to um, Space Jam, a new legacy, when there's a moment where LeBron goes into the whatever server verse they go into, And he says like, okay, so I got to get my favorite Warner Brothers characters. Let me get yeah. this guy, this guy, and this guy. And I'm like, there's no way LeBron James knows off the top of his head what characters are owned by Warner Brothers. Like, there's no way. Nobody knows that. But with Disney, it's different because they are just so uh, good at making sure that kids from the moment they're born know what a Disney product is and know who belongs with Disney. And they've also done something very different from when I was a kid that to really put Mickey Mouse out there. They have a lot of Mickey Mouse TV shows now mm. um, for preschool kids. And also there's some really good, actually, shorts uh, called, I think it's just called Mickey Mouse shorts. I've watched really a few funny. of those. They're good. They're, they're really very good. funny. I think, I think they're like some of the same animators from like SpongeBob and Run and Stimpy. That makes sense. Uh, that sounds right to me. And And they actually feel a little bit more like Warner Brothers types cartoons than old Disney cartoons. They have like a very different sense of humor and they're very fun. Yep. And and that's the thing. When we were growing up, it was the complete opposite. I, I don't know how it was for you, but I would never watch the Disney cartoons because they weren't on TV. They were only on the Disney Channel and you had to pay to get the Disney Channel. I had a handful of them on VHS. I had like one where it was like Jack and the Beanstalk and I had one mm -hmm. that was, uh, I, I couldn't even tell you, but like I, those were the handful of them that I had and those were the ones I watched over and over. So but I definitely didn't knew? watch them on TV. Right, Not but the Looney Tunes ones. were on all the time. I've seen all, all the shorts so many times just because it was constantly on TV. And Yeah, I couldn't even tell you what channel, but I would always watch them. Like I would just... They would just always be on any, almost, it felt like almost any time of day. Like yeah. I would be able to find a channel and eventually Looney Tunes would be playing. And that has definitely been lost now. I doubt that, I don't know if, if kids would know who Bugs Bunny is um, at all. I wouldn't be surprised if they told me they don't know because I, I don't know how they would even see anything related to Bugs Bunny. Hmm. Even though I should say also, uh, On HBO Max, there are some really, really great new Looney Tunes shorts on there. It's like a, oh. a new TV show called Looney Tunes Cartoons. And it is very, very funny. And it is very good. And it's one of the few modern Looney Tunes things that I think really captures the magic of the original shorts. And I really love them. So to anyone who wants to see some of good Looney Tunes uh, shorts that are new, I recommend that. They also have a lot of the old shorts on HBO Max. I wonder hmm. if any kids are like discovering them. I don't know. That's a good question. And I'm I'm assuming that they probably don't have a lot of like Pepe Le Pew or like uh, uh, who's the other Speedy Gonzalez. Like they I probably think they don't do have get featured yeah. very often. I 
Yeah, well, there's a lot of older Looney Tunes cartoons that are out of uh, syndication and out of uh, production because there's a lot of stuff that, you know, uh, was more accepted back then that it's really not aged very well and was not cool. It's Bugs Bunny that, like, there's a Bugs Bunny cartoon that doesn't really air, um, right, where, like, he's fighting Hitler. Is that right? Uh, I think that might be the Donald duck cartoon that where he works where he's working for the nazis or something like that okay um uh there must be some world war ii cartoons with bucks money there is a number of cartoons from from warner brothers that uh, do not air because they have like i, I think a lot of them have like racial stuff that yeah. you know like like blackface or like there's one in which like i think it's bucks money is fighting like a like some sort of like cannibal in Africa or something that has like aged very well. Yeah, there. So there, there's like a few other moments in in back in action that are like that definitely didn't age well. That um, like the, the in a way they're almost a commentary on things that were going on at the time, like with Harvey Weinstein. But also they're just gross. Like there's there's a bit where. The chairman is addressing everybody in the room and he gets to like the one the one VP in the room that's a woman and mm-hmm. he says like he stops and he's like hey you want to do some kissing later and she like is disgusted and his he just says like that's what they all say at first and right. like it that just kind of lingers in the air and yeah. it's very disgusting and it's the, like it, at the same time it's it also seems like it's in there to call out that that's a thing but it's yeah. it's not working because it's also using it as a joke yeah it is you know i really i kind of struggle to find a comedy especially in the 90s and 2000s that doesn't have moments like that mm-hmm. i feel like there was a there was a moment it was a time when we really um i don't know maybe it's just any any time when comedy is, ba- is being done but i think especially at that time kind of we wanted to be like kind of like a little bit edgy about it and like talk about like this stuff that was like kind of taboo and sometimes it's done really well and really does comment on it but a lot of times it just is and also like in the looney tunes back in action movie like you know um and it's not where i'm coming to get my commentary on sexual harassment in the workplace you know what i mean like no but it is but it is interesting how it sort of ends up commenting on itself um, mm-hmm. Like, for example, Jenna Elfman, there's a there's a bit where they're driving in, in the spy car and uh, like Jenna Elfman and um, uh, who's who's in the car with her. But they like the the car like rips. Oh, uh, Brendan Fraser, the car like rips off all of their clothes, puts him in a tux and puts her in this dress. Mm-hmm. Later, they're like in the desert making camp. He's in just a T-shirt and jeans at that point, and she's still in the dress. And they're like, you know, making camp and like going to sleep. Um, right. So it's just, it's just this like casual little background detail that, like, you know, he is allowed to change into comfortable clothing from this point, but she still needs to be dolled up in a dress because that's yeah. what the script calls for in that moment. Yeah, yeah, definitely. There's a lot yeah. of stuff like that. And, and, you know, I mean, I guess that's just happens throughout all of Hollywood history. You have like those yep. moments. Yeah. So the fir- and the further day, back right? you dig, like the more, you know, the more problematic it becomes. <laughs> but Yeah. But, um, but some of that stuff still happens today. And it's like, you know, yeah. 
you see it in movies that are out now and you're like come on like we're still doing this like come on guys yeah but i but i feel like we're 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 year year after year we're like becoming more if not more aware of it we're at least like pointing a finger at it more and we're like calling it out more and that's a good thing and that's i think leading to more um having more directors that are women or directors of color or you know people that should be working on certain projects because they bring a certain voice to it and that's only making movies better and making things like this better yeah i definitely yeah you definitely hear people not only people who are plugged into like the movie world or whatever but also just like regular people talk about that much more than like you did back in 2003 for example i don't think i heard anyone talk about anything like that back then but now yeah. you really you really do. i hear you know like regular folks talking about like things that they thought weren't really cool in the movie that made them that that you know that's not cool like they should have done that it's kind of like it's also kind of one of those things where um the fact that people are, are talking about it more like when when they and when you have when you know more words for different shades of colors your eye is better at picking up those different the contrasts or the differences the subtle differences between you right. know like a rose pink versus a uh uh lavender um those yeah. aren't good even good examples of colors, <laughs> but <laughs> like a lavender versus a mauve or you yeah know, but once you have the or, language for it and you have yeah. the reference yeah you're much yeah you're much and you more, see it more you like and yeah and you're more you're better at articulating it better than i am at this moment but um but yeah that's the okay there is there anything else in uh looney tunes back in action they get the thing they save the day bugs and daffy come to an agreement they make a new movie the like <laughs> yeah do you have anything That's more to say folks. about yeah um she actually says go home folks he stutter uh-huh. pokey pig stutters over his words so many times that he just gives up and says go home folks hmm. um and then there is a post credit scene that doesn't really mean anything at all i don't even get the joke of it um but I'm, do you have any more notes or anything else that we might not have discussed yet before we move on to my bonus questions? Um, I don't think I do. They might come up as, as we talk about the bonus questions. And, but off the top of my head, I think we've covered pretty much all of it. Um, and, and I want to say this is a pretty, this is a movie that doesn't get talked about a lot. I don't think a lot mm. of people have that many fond memories of it or like they haven't seen it because it was kind of a bomb when it came out yeah um it, it did really badly it was uh i think it was up against elf which is a great movie but also the cat in the hat which it should have done better than the cat in the hat come on people i'm looking at the box office the budget was 80 million the and, u.s and canada gross was like 21 million yes yeah, so that's no uh, good that's not good. Worldwide, 68. So it never even made back its budget. That's real bad. Yeah, that's probably why we didn't see a lot of Looney Tunes in the big screen for a long yeah. time after that. Yeah, they yeah, this lost the studio money. That is never... Jesus. I didn't know that. I didn't know it was that bad. I thought, like, this was an underperforming movie. I didn't know that it lost money. No, um, it was it was really bad. And I think it is kind of like the reason why Warner Brothers gave up on the Looney Tunes for a long time. And they started nice. to do things like Looney Tunes, like Lunatics Unleashed and all that stuff. Man, and then, yeah, and then DC didn't really, didn't really recover until recently. <laughs> um, but now Brendan Fraser is in a really good DC property, so it's full circle. Um, 
Awesome. Uh, Conrado, this is a section of the podcast that we call What's Yo Snack? Now, Conrado, you are, listeners can't see this, but you're currently eating what looks like very delicious pad thai. Yeah, it is. This is my snack for today's pad thai. I hope the listeners can definitely not see it. I hope they can't hear it. Um, please let me know if they do, and I can try to do some like audio magic to make the gross sounds that I'm making disappear if they can be heard. I'm trying yeah. to eat away from the mic. If you have uh, misophonia, um, go ahead and uh, send us your hate mail, robosvdinos at gmail.com, complain about the show, or just tell me uh, how wrong I am about everything that I say. Um, I will. I would love to read your hate mail on the air, but nobody's actually written me any hate mail so far. So be the first, be a pioneer, and write your hate mail to robots versus dinosaurs. Uh, so, Conrado, my actual question, though, is what's your snack? Um, did you have any... Like, did you, you rewatch this movie recently for the show? Did you have a movie snack while you were watching it? I actually rewatched this movie recently, but not for the show. I watched it like a couple of weeks ago and I can't really remember what I was eating, if I was eating anything. But I'll mm. tell you, um, let me think of some snacks that I've been enjoying lately. Um, you got to try Australian licorice. I brought some over. That's right. That's right. You brought so some let's, hear, let's hear your review on Daryl Lee Australian licorice. I think that's what the listeners want to hear. Yeah, very good. I learned that for me, the, the best way to eat those is to keep them, keep the bag in the kitchen and just like anytime you walk past the kitchen, eat one of them and then go mm. about your day, do something else. And then by the time you come back and pass it, because the kitchen in my apartment is kind of in the middle of the, of the apartment. So you have to like cross it to get to a lot of places. Mm -hmm. So anytime I cross the kitchen, I would be like, oh, let me get a little piece of uh, licorice, you know? And it was like a really nice uh, way to go about the day. So I would definitely recommend that. Um, yeah, it was delicious. I I had been looking forward to trying it because you talked about it so much in the podcast. Conrado, it was the mixed flavor. It has pineapple. I'm sorry, no, I'm out of my mind. It has mango, sorry, mm. sour apple and strawberry. Did you have yeah. a favorite flavor? I think I like the sour apple the most. Interesting. That's that's a good answer because the sour apple is the only one that you can't get as an individual flavor. You can buy the oh, mango really? or the strawberry by itself. You can also buy the black licorice by itself, but who would do that I, i'm not a monster yeah um, that's too so, too bitter for me yeah so but you can but you cannot get the sour apple in bags by itself you can only get it in the mixed bag so that's interesting wow. that's your favorite one it's the rarest one yeah i guess i have a very developed palate very explicit <laughs> taste <laughs> uh awesome i watched the i actually watched this movie earlier today we're recording kind of later at night nice um and since we're, uh, you know, we're shouting out local businesses in Astoria, because we're both in Astoria, New York, I had Chip City cookies. Oh, um, yeah. Do you know, have you ever been to Chip City? Very good. Very good. Yeah, definitely. They're on Instagram. I'm going to link to them on the, in the show notes so you can check it out. Um, just the, the most, the, like the best gooey in the center, gigantic scone sized uh, chocolate chip cookie. And I had that with some coffee while I was watching this movie and it was delightful and I really enjoyed it. Um, all right, Conrado. Yep. If we were to replace two actors, I'm sorry, two characters in this movie, because they could be any of the Looney Tunes as well. Mm -hmm. Anything's on the, on the table. Oh, wow, um, okay. Any two characters in this movie with Whoopi Goldberg and Danny DeVito, who would we replace? How would it improve 
Looney Tunes back in action and make Warner Brothers back all of the money they invested in this film. So I've thought about this a lot. I have a very clear answer for one of them and the other one I'm really unsure, but I'll tell you, I think the, the, the obvious thing you do is you replace Timothy Dalton with Danny DeVito. And Obviously. you just have the joke from, have you seen the movie Get Shorty? Yes. Where they do this, where Danny DeVito, it kind of like jokingly plays like the matinee idol type of character. So I think <laughs> yes. that you do it again, but in Looney Tunes by Connection, he's plays like the James Bond type. And I think that, that would work really great. 100%. Uh, my only rebuttal is um, let's get Steve Martin out of here. Let's put Danny DeVito in there. What if we put Whoopi Goldberg in there then? That also works. That also works, but I think that they're going for a specific thing with the wardrobe of that character. And I mm. think Danny DeVito just naturally pulls that off. Like the thing that they're trying to do, you just put Danny DeVito in the same suit or even a suit that fits him and you still get the same gag. So mm. I think that's where I would put him, but you're not wrong. Let's hear, what's your take on Whoopi Goldberg in that role? My take on Whoopi Goldberg in there, bro, is that it would be good. I mean, it would be different. I, I doubt that she would go for the kind of thing that Steve Martin is going for. Has Whoopi Goldberg voiced a lot of animated characters? I don't think she has. She did Lion King. Shenzi in The Lion King. I, I, can't, I can't name any other that she's done off the top of my head. And, she, and, and, and that character is one of the more... It's not like one of the comedic, psychic type of characters. So... It's not like a genie or a type of like that. So I don't know if Whoopi Goldberg has that like manic energy to her. So mm -hmm. it would definitely be a different type of character. Um, which makes me think, what can she do? What, who could, would she be good at interacting with the cartoons? There's another thing that I wanted to mention. What did you think of the, of the interaction between the cartoons and the, and the, the human characters? Because... I think it's pretty good for, I think like usually in movies like this, it's not very good, but this was good. Yeah, I was really impressed. I thought that it was, um, I, 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 you know, it's obviously the Who Framed Roger Rabbit bit that they're doing, which Daffy Duck and War and um, Bugs Bunny That's both me. made an appearance in previously. Uh, so shout out to them. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> And uh, yeah, I, I was actually really impressed with it. There were, there were certain moments where like Daffy was running through a crowd of people and the camera was sort of moving a certain way mm -hmm. where it was clear they were just moving the camera back and forth to add motion. Um, it was sort of like, it was sort of a thing where like, I could see the magician's hand behind the curtain and I could see how they're achieving this effect, but it's so effective that I don't care that I can see it. Um, he's like right. running through a crowd. The camera's sort of panning back and forth really quickly. And they're just animating him running in between people's legs. But they're just yeah. adding a little bit of motion to the camera to like put put it put the effect over the top. I thought that was super effective. Totally. That they mixed camera movement with the 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 computer animation that they were using to overlay mm -hmm. these characters into the scene. That I, I just thought it was seamless. I was very impressed with it. There was no, you know, what was really stood out was the fight scene in the saloon in, uh, oh, in, yeah. in, in Yosemite Sam's brothel. <laughs> yeah. Um, that, uh, that was really impressive. 
Yeah, I think the movie definitely uh, has that Roger Rabbit spirit, which I do think that Who Framed Roger Rabbit is kind of the gold standard for interaction between live action and cartoons. Like they really went out of their way to figure out how to make it look as realistic as possible for cartoons and humans to interact in the same space. And I do think that this movie wants to continue in that tradition. I don't think that they were given maybe as much time and and money to do it as Roger Rabbit did. But I think that they do a lot of it with what they can in a way that, again, a movie like Space Jam does, you know, Space Jam has very little interaction between humans and cartoons. It's just Michael Jordan in front of a green screen and a bunch of cartoons around him. There's only one scene in which Daffy and Bugs Bunny are in the real world, which is the best scene in the movie. But like, you know, it takes a lot of time and effort to plan those things out. And they really did for this movie. Yeah, well said. It's, um, I really lost my train of thought. <laughs> I do, oh, oh. Oh, I know, I know why I forgot what I was going to say. I got really distracted when I was looking at the IMDb page because I found out who played the Warner Brothers. Oh, who is it? Twin brothers, Don and Dan Stanton, who were also the security guard in Terminator 2 that gets uh, the T-1000, like shoots a needle through his eye and then impersonates him. Um, I don't know if you're how familiar oh, you are with so Terminator they, 2. So but... did they use twins for that? Is that how yes. they did that? Oh, wow. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah, and that's another kind of a, like, that's a thing I actually thought was an effect. Like, when they had Brendan Fraser fighting himself um, right. later on in the movie when he was, like, punching and he punched himself in the face, that, that, was, that was a little bit, uh, a little bit sweaty. Um, yeah. <laughs> Not quite seamless, but I did think when I was looking at the Warner Brothers that this was like a mirror trick, but it's actually, it's actually twin brothers. It's the oldest showbiz trick in the book. Yeah. <laughs> That's what we in the business called the Mary Kate and Ashley trick. <laughs> I mean, it's the entire plot of the prestige, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah. Of this trick in the book. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah, this was the, just. I'm really glad you brought this movie on. It was, uh, it was delightful to watch. I, I, I have always loved the Looney Tunes, and watching the most recent Space Jam movie, which you and I talked about a little bit, was a bit of a letdown. It was a bit of a bummer. Yeah. And so I'm really glad that I got to visit this movie from 2003 that I skipped over because I didn't believe in it because I, you know, I knew that it was. Um, I didn't know it was as big of a flop as it was, but I definitely thought it was one to avoid. I hadn't heard good things about it. So I'm glad that you brought it to my attention. I'm glad I took the time to watch it and that we're, we're talking about it today because uh, it is much better than it gets credit for. I highly recommend this movie. Listeners, if you have not seen Looney Tunes back in action yet, check it out. It's on H and no, actually, no, I had to rent it. It's not on HBO max. I thought it was going to be on HBO max, but it's even, I, it's even been abandoned from the, from the HBO catalog, the Warner catalog. They don't want to recognize their, yeah, uh, which their is, steps. which is rough. That's rough. Yeah. But, I, but I, but I paid like $4 to rent it. And I, I don't feel, I feel like it was money well spent. Yeah, I agree. It's a great movie. It's a underrated movie. So it's out there to be rediscovered by the folks. And I think the robots versus dinosaurs listenership might be the target audience for some of these jokes. I agree. Conrado, uh, do you have any final statements today before we wrap up? 
Um, I also love the Looney Tunes. I love seeing them. I love seeing the, I, I watch the older shorts constantly. Um, and I love the new shorts that are on HBO. And I really hope that um, those shorts bring about like some kind of renaissance for the Looney Tunes. And um, I don't know if Space Jam and New Legacy will do it. Uh, I don't even know that if it does, that it will continue in, in things that I would be interested in seeing the Looney Tunes in. So, um, or I don't know. Maybe we just have the memory of the Looney Tunes. Oh, one more thing that I don't know if you knew about, but like Joe Dante is, is such a big fan of the Looney Tunes that one of his passion projects that he never was able to do was a movie called Termite Terrace, which was about the animators who did the Looney Tunes back in the 40s and 50s. And it was going to be a kind of like live action animation hybrid about what it was like working at the Looney Tunes studio back then. And Ooh. I'm kind of sad that he never got to make it. So I guess that would be my, my biggest hope would be like for someone to find a way to make that script a reality. Yeah, that's a bummer. You could tell like that if, if this movie had done well, then he would have probably used like the proceeds or, or leveraged his way in, into getting that funded. But but this yeah. was kind of a nail in his in, in the coffin for, for... It really was. And his career... This was kind of like the last big moment of his career. After that, he really hasn't made a studio movie as since. He only made a couple of independents that didn't do, do very well. So it was a mm. big, um, I think he has a lot of um, resentment for this movie and for the experience because he had a bad experience doing it. He was trying to do something that he feels like he didn't could really achieve and the movie was a failure. But I'm here to tell him that we actually love this movie and I think he did a great job and I think... Um, you should be proud of it. Yeah, I've always liked Joe Dante, and I, I love this movie, and I'm glad that it's in my vocabulary now. I'm glad that it's like a movie that I can talk about and that I know things about and that I can recommend to people. Uh, so I highly recommend it to all of my listeners. And listeners, um, uh, Conrado, why don't you tell them where else they can find you and what, the, what other projects you are currently working on? Yeah, so you can find me on Twitter if you like that sort of thing at Coco Hits NY. I have some other podcasts. Uh, my podcast, Foreign Invader, is kind of a little bit on hiatus right now. I am still doing the Criterion Project, which where we talk about like movies in the Criterion channel and collection, which is a lot of fun. I do it with Rachel Wagner, the film critic, and one of the reasons why my other podcast is on hiatus is because I'm working on the second season of my web series, Wormholes. And this is very exciting because Louis Gaudio is actually involved in season two. He is a director of one of our episodes and he's been on set quite a bit and we've had a pretty good time shooting Wormholes. Don't you think, Lou? Wait a minute. Louis Gaudio, host of the Robots vs. Dinosaurs podcast? That's the one. And he, he directed an episode of Wormholes that's coming up in season two. Not only that, he directed an episode of Wormholes that's highly influenced by the Looney Tunes. That's crazy. What an what a insane coincidence. I'm really glad that I had you on the show to tell my listeners about that. Yeah, that's right. I didn't even make that connection until now. We should have led with that. Should have put that at the beginning <laughs> of the show, not the end. Well, you know, that's showbiz sometimes. Um, when, is, uh, when is season two coming out? Is there a tentative release date? There's a tentative release date. There really isn't. Uh, we think early in 2022. So like expect mm. for it uh, early in the next year is when we think the season will be ready to go. 
And in the meantime, you should definitely go to YouTube and look up Wormholes NYC and watch season one and subscribe so that as soon as season two comes out, you will get the word and you'll get to watch it first. That is absolutely right. Just one small correction where you need to search on YouTube is wormholes.tv. That's the easiest, fastest way to get to it. And yeah, to watch the first season, I think it's really funny, really good. And the second season might be even better if I say so myself. Awesome. And actually the easiest way to access it will be to click on the link in the show notes because I'm going to put a link in the show notes. Wow, the height of luxury. (laughs) Uh, Great. So I'm really bad at saying goodbye at the end of the show. Conrado, say goodbye to the listeners and make them your job, I suppose. Uh, That's all, folks. (laughs) Perfect. Absolutely perfect. All right. Uh, That was really fun. All right. Yeah. That's all, folks.